got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Exactly two weeks from today. Two weeks and, you know, matter of minutes, KU will be taking on Michigan State. I, I don't know if they announced this for sure, but I, I thought we had all settled on the fact KU-Michigan State going to be the 6 o'clock game in a couple weeks on November 9th, I want to say, is the proper date. But exactly two weeks from today is the start of the college basketball season, and it is that first game for KU, the first official game for KU in taking on Michigan State in the Champions Classic. Michigan State isn't ranked. I think they're 26th or 27th by receiving votes. But if you win this game, by the end of the year, that will look like a really good win. Do you really think Tom Izzo isn't going to end up having a top 25 team for, what, the second straight year? It's not like they were. I mean, they were still a tournament team last year. Like, you're bringing in five-star talent. You're bringing in a transfer in Tyson Walker, who we talked about for KU being a good fit for them. Michigan State's going to probably end up being a top 25 team. They're probably, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if Michigan State were to like pull off an upset here and then all of a sudden they're ranked 10th and they end up being a top five, top 10 team this year, right? Uh, that's not like out of the realm of possibilities with the Tom Izzo team. So uh, big game right off the bat and one that you expect to be a really good marquee win at the end of the year, even though Michigan State not ranked right now. Um, but this weekend, is really the first taste of KU basketball, and I don't think we get to watch it. It is the quote-unquote secret scrimmage. That's what they call all these. A lot of teams will play this secret scrimmage, and it's a secret in that you can't watch it, but everybody kind of knows it's happening. Um, and so you're allowed to do this and, and play another Division One school by doing this, but you can't, like, televise it, I don't believe. You can't, you know, have open media and everything. So we need to figure out a way collectively to get the scoop on, you know, who's playing well. Okay, you taking on Tulsa in the secret scrimmage over the weekend. What are the stats? What's the rotation? Who's playing when and where, right? We need somebody to do the dirty work. And I'm not necessarily advocating for you to you know, sneak on to school property at Tulsa University and find your way into the basketball court. But, like, you know, maybe you're just on uh, an unofficial visit and you're just walking around checking out the school and, oh, no, I accidentally popped into the basketball arena. Oh, look what's going on. You know, I don't know. Somebody would like to do that. I, I wouldn't be against it. Not advocating for it, but, you know, if you'd like to. Uh, and then a week from tomorrow is the first exhibition game 
that one can be watched, televised, all that stuff for KU. And I feel like that game is going to feature like a million different lineups. And, you know, there was a exhibition game a couple of years ago where it was like a new lineup, like every like minute or two. Um, we're probably going to have that with how deep of a roster this is. And I would be kind of surprised if in that exhibition, like anybody plays more than like 25 minutes in a game. You're just going to want to try out a lot of different guys and a lot of different spots. And you're going to do probably, I don't know. I, I would think a little less of that in the Tulsa game or the Tulsa scrimmage, I should say, but I don't know. I'll say this though, even after this preseason slate, and this is what's unfortunate headed into the Michigan state game. I've never been a big fan of like preseason football, like NFL preseason. But I, I just don't, I don't care. The only thing that I'm worried about the whole time while I'm watching it is just please don't get injured. With the one exception being, you know, if you have a young rookie who comes in, you want to see what they look like, what part of the offense they come into, right? But in football, it's like, it's not as much a scheme thing. Like, yes, teams have different schemes and run different offenses. But at the end of the day, there's only so much variance of what you could expect from a football team. It's like, oh, so you're going to do a variation of a running play or a variation of a passing play. It's like, I got it. You're going to run or pass the ball. In basketball, you don't necessarily know, like, what is the team going to look like in terms of who's playing, what rotations, who's playing with each other, Right. Are they going to play fast? Are they going to play slow? Like all these different things that it makes it a little more useful, but I don't, I don't know how much this preseason is going to be that useful because of that reason. I'm expecting them to play a ton of different lineups, a ton of different players, nobody to really cap out at a ton of minutes and us to not really have a ton of takeaways. And maybe there shouldn't be anyway. I mean, I remember Josh Jackson struggled in his exhibition game and then all of a sudden was one of the best freshmen that Bill Self has had. So I, I just don't know how much you'll be able to take away, though, because it's going to be more of a tryout there. We might not know till a couple weeks, really, with the game against Michigan State. And even then, right, it's still the first game of the season. How many times has that first game in the Champions Classic not served as kind of a prerequisite of what's to come later in the season? Like, you think of the game against Michigan State a couple years ago where Quentin Grimes goes off from three and you're thinking, oh my gosh, Quentin Grimes is going to be a superstar. He's going to be a one and done. And that obviously didn't end up coming to fruition. Um, you had, you know, I guess, I don't know. Uh, the Michigan State ones have been the, the weirdest ones because you have that one. And then you have the Michigan State from before that where KU, it felt like had no business losing that game and just kind of fell off at the end of the game. Denzel Valentine leads the charge in the comeback. Denzel Valentine eventually earns co-national player of the year with with Buddy Heald. I think he won one of them, and Buddy won a couple of the others. And that was a really good Kansas team. It's tough to gauge how much you put in that first game. You even think about a couple years ago against Duke. You know, you lose. You have like 30 turnovers. You look like the worst basketball team in the world with 30 turnovers. And that team ended up being what would have been the number one overall seed and a heavy title favorite come into March Madness. So there's only so much we can put into it, but it's just interesting because we won't really have as much of a clue from the preseason in my estimation 
One, because you only have one televised exhibition game, the other not being shown, and the other because of with so many bodies, it is going to be a smorgasbord of different lineups for this team. But maybe while we won't be able to take too much from the rotations or the depth chart, because that will be mostly experimental, maybe what we'll be able to take away from it and what I'm interested in about this team for this season is about the style of play in a couple different directions. The first is in regard to the two-big lineup. It's not something that we were, you know, expecting them to play, but you did have questions coming into the offseason, like you have all this big depth, you bring in Cam Martin, Zach Clements is your highest-rated recruit, you have a sixth-year guy in Mitch Lightfoot, and this is all surrounding David McCormick, your all-conference player at the center position. You can't satisfy minutes for all of them unless you're playing two of them at the same time. Because if you're only playing one big man and David McCormick's giving you 25 minutes, I mean, he averaged 23 last year. So even if it's, let's say it's not even up, let's say it's 23, what it was last year, you only have 17 minutes to give out between the rest of those guys. Cam Martin, he gets 10 of them. Zach Clements and Mitch combined for seven, right? I mean, that's not a lot of minutes to go around. So all of a sudden, if you're playing 10 minutes of two big lineups a game, then all of a sudden, those extra 10 minutes make the rotation a little more doable. Cam Martin plays 15 minutes, and Mitch and Clements combined for 12 minutes, right? That sounds a little more doable, but the problem is, if you're playing the two-big lineup, how does that affect you defensively? Because you're not going to have as many guys who are capable of sliding on the perimeter and being good perimeter defenders with so many teams playing small or playing a wing at the four position or playing a more mobile play at the four position. And I think we're going to see the two-big lineup at different points throughout this season, maybe for a few-minute stretch here or there, especially depending on the opponent, right? If you're playing a team like Texas had last year where you have Jericho Sims in there and Kai Jones or Jericho Sims and Greg Brown, you can get away with that two-big lineup in that situation. But for the most part, you're not going to be wanting to do that, and Bill Self talked about that at Media Days last week. We we talked about it, how you know he said um, it just has to get to a point where if – whatever we're losing defensively if we play two bigs like we have to more than make up for that offensively so we have to be if we're a minus three with two bigs defensively we have to be a plus four offensively right so that we end up just still being a better team but he said like I don't envision it happening it all that much and I would kind of believe that but you know it'll be interesting to see if they do experiment with that in the preseason and if that does carry over it all into the season and if it's something where it takes some time before they completely ditch it, or if it's just never approached altogether. Uh, the second thing that I'm most interested in over these next couple of weeks is about playing faster and what that means. We keep hearing about, you know, wanting to play faster. And I don't think that means they're going to be a Roy Williams team to where it's, you know, we're putting up all these possessions, we're scoring 85, 90 points in a game. I think it more so just means trying to get into transition more often and playing a more up-tempo defense. When you think about the up-tempo defense part, that's more in regards to trying to either speed up your opponent. It's weird. You speed up your opponent, but you slow them down, right? So if you apply ball pressure, you're speeding up the opponent in terms of just playing at a more frantic pace, 
which you would hope leads to them turning the ball over more, making dumb decisions, but it's also slowing them down because if you apply all that ball pressure for 94 feet from coast to coast, then you know it might take them an extra couple seconds. It might take them five, six, seven seconds to get across half court, and all of a sudden now they have less time on the shot clock to work through the offense and get things going. So that's, I think, what it means in that regard. Um, but last year, KU ranked just 151st in the country in tempo. So, you know, nationally about middle of the pack. But if you look more in depth about that, they were 74th in average possession length on offense versus being 312th in possession length on defense, which means you had to defend for longer periods of time. And... It's twofold because I think part of that number also goes into the the matter of fact that, you know, KU's defense was really good last year. And so if you have a really good defense, offenses are going to try to work longer against it to try to get a good shot off. It's going to take them longer to find one if they ever find one. So that plays into it as well. But again, you know, that's got to be tough defending for a long period of time. 312th in the country in that regard. So if you can shave off, those five to eight seconds of a possession from just applying that full court ball pressure and playing fast, so to speak, that's a nice save to the defense. I think another thing that playing fast refers to is that, you know, just playing all out, playing hard, not worrying about fouls, not worrying about, you know, maybe being overly reckless because you know you have a deep rotation, you have a deep bench that if you get tired or if you get in foul trouble, you can go to. And I don't know if there's really anyone on this team like, Obviously, there is drop-offs between players. I don't want to make that sound like the case. And obviously, KU does have their best players. And obviously, KU is going to be better with Ochai and David McCormick and Remy Martin on the court. But this team also feels like it's not one where you say, if this guy isn't on the court, it is a huge downgrade. Like, yes, David McCormick is going to be better than probably whatever you get from, you know, Cam Martin, Zach Clements, Mitch Lightfoot. But is the drop-off from David McCormick to Cam Martin the difference between being a top-five team in the country and not being top-25? No. And this is a conversation we had with Brian Haney on Friday. Like, KU's backups are probably a 500 team or better in the Big 12. So you feel good about that. But it just, playing faster kind of allows you to utilize that strength. You know, that's what Florida State has done so well over these past couple years. Now, I know this has happened a lot in the past. I don't know, maybe not a lot, but it's happened routinely enough where KU teams have come into a season and talk either from the team or from people like myself is about coming into the year them wanting to run more or being able to utilize this roster more to get out in transition and run more on offense. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. But if you look through, you'll find that, I don't know, it it has happened maybe more than you'd think. KU was top 75 in tempo in 2004, 2006, 2007, 2011, 2015, 2017, and 2019. So they played at a quicker pace. And the one I really want to circle is that 2011 team because of a couple reasons. One, That squad finished 42nd in the country in adjusted tempo 
And that team, like this team, is a very deep team. That team went 9-10 deep. And they finished 42nd in the country in adjusted tempo. And more so, that 2011 team was 17th. 17th in the country in average possession length on offense. Meaning they were one of the fastest playing offenses in the country. So there is a precedent there with Bill Self with a deeper team to do just that and play quicker, get out and transition more with this offense. I know there's been times where you would think, okay, you have these athletes, they have you know all these high recruits, let's get out and transition, and maybe it doesn't feel like they do it as much. Perfect example right now when you have you know, the horses you're going to run. So while the playing faster doesn't just mean offensively and I think does probably have a big part on the defensive side of it just as much, there is absolutely precedent there that KU will play faster and can play faster offensively when you compare it to that 2011 team. And I think that is what I'm most interested to see in what things look like in if we could get anything from that secret scrimmage game, but at the very least in watching the exhibition game, like how fast is this team playing? Are they making it a priority to get out and transition? And, you know, what does that look like? This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World going to join us in about 20 minutes from right now. Coming up next, Lance Leipold spoke with the media earlier today. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here on a Tuesday. Joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. All right, Matt, I have, uh, I don't know, blindsided you the last couple of weeks. I've hit you with hard questions right off the bat. So are you ready for Derek's first question to Matt that he should have prepped him with uh, but didn't and will make Matt think of a tough answer on the fly? I love it, man. I think, and the way you were kind of, Setting that up right there, I think you should get a sponsor for it. It's, like, it's, got, a, it's got a ring to it. Derek's first question. Something, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's got some fire to it. So I think I think you should try to look into that. But I, yeah, I've learned I got to be ready. Whether I am or not is a whole different story. But I know I have to come into it locked and ready. Yeah, uh, brought to you by I don't know some grill company because we're putting Matt's feet to the fire here. Um, all right, so th- that was KU's best performance in the game against Oklahoma against a Big Twelve team since when? Ah, uh, geez. Um, and you don't have to necessarily give me an exact example, but I mean, it's it's more so an exercise to like like go back how far you want. And I don't know; it's very hard to think about. I, Maybe the game against TCU when Clint Bowen was the interim head coach? Well, it's funny you say that because that, that was the first one that came to my mind. And also that same year um, against Oklahoma State at home uh, when, when KU uh, basically lost because they kicked to Tyreek Hill. That's right. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, 
He, he, I think he returned. It was, I think it was a punt. It might have been a kickoff, though. I think maybe they just tied the game. No, I think it was a lead. kickoff, and then the TCU yeah. game was a punt by TCU that set him up to get the lead or, or maybe started to bring him back. That's right. It was a kickoff to Tyreek Hill, and that, that was a great game. And so either way, we're talking about uh, 2014 right there. So um, seven years. Uh, I wrote, you might have read, but I wrote about how this Oklahoma – Loss, in my opinion, was better for a lot of reasons than the Texas win um, of 2016, and 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 the two games had similar feels. Um, you know, sort of a nobody thought this was going to be possible. Nobody nobody expected it. And look at this, everything's going right, and here we are. And you know that kind of that kind of vibe from from start to finish. And um, and obviously they got the job done against that Texas team, but but I thought that Texas team, and still do, uh, I, I thought that team was trash. I mean, this Oklahoma team's ranked third in the country, so there's differences there. Um, that was the end of Beatty's second year, um, and really the first sign of life in his uh, time as the head coach here. Um, and 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 here, you know, we're what halfway through Leipold's first season, and and you're already showing that kind of sign of life a little bit so I, I you know I think I know a lot of people would probably point to that Texas win but I, I just think that's probably because the outcome but when you're looking at how did they play and, and best game I think that there was a lot of garbage in that KU Texas game in fact KU almost lost that game um, and in gosh was it an overtime was that an overtime game I don't really yeah, remember yeah. But the, yeah there was a they almost threw an interception when all they like um, in the end zone, right two or three plays before the field goal that won the game. So you know there, there's, it was a little sloppy. There were some there were some rough spots in that game, and and obviously there were some rough spots in this game too, or else they would have won. But I think the fact that they um, controlled most of the game and and had it there, uh, obviously until that wild fourth down conversion by OU. I mean. If KU gets the ball back there, there's no telling what could have happened. So um, they were right there, and and it, it was a it was a great effort. But as I wrote in in my story about comparing the two, I mean that Texas game was followed up by a, a pretty uninspired 34 to 19 loss to K State, and then a one and 11 season the next year. And uh, you know that that it obviously didn't deliver the momentum that anybody was hoping it would. So I think that the key here is is will this one do something different. Will this one lead to a, 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 a spirited effort Saturday night at Oklahoma State? And, you know, you don't have to go win that game either. But if you could stack a, a couple of games where you're in it until the fourth quarter against opponents like that, I, I think that that would get people's attention right there. So I think there's, uh, you know, there's a lot to like about how that game went. And, it, of course, it was fun for the fans to see that, you know, and, and to experience being in a game like that. But you know, if you're looking at total progress and momentum and really having that close call mean something, I think they've got to back it up this week. I think they've got to, they've got to validate it and they've got to show that that wasn't just a, a one week fluke. And, and, you know, if they go out and lay an egg and it's 55 to seven that in Stillwater, then, you know, a lot of that goodwill that you got gained from this game is probably forgotten pretty quickly. So I, I think it's a big week for them. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is important, though, too, for, you know, the next home game is going to coincide right when basketball's starting up. It's against Kansas State. Uh, you need to get home fans there. Otherwise, it's going to be a sea of purple. So 
probably pretty good timing as well with, with how it happened there. Uh, obviously, Jason Bean and Devin Neal were both uh, pretty prominent in their roles in almost beating Oklahoma in that game. After we went through the conversation of, uh-oh, well, is the KU quarterback position, is that in question now after the Texas Tech game? Come out and to have that response and, and for Devin Neal to play like that, I mean, how important would it be for that to continue the rest of this season, and how exciting would that the future endeavor of having both of those guys possibly as your battery in the backfield for the next two seasons after this year be? Yeah, that's by far the best part is that you know this this could be a a, a springboard of sorts for, uh, for for Bean especially. I mean, I think with with Devin Neal, you know, you're looking at a true freshman. You're looking at anything you get from him in year one even with his pedigree and his, his status as a, a top-rated recruit and things like that, I still think year one, anything you get is, is gravy. And, and so you don't expect anything real great, but you'll take what you can get, and then you start to turn up the expectations a little bit in year two, year three, et cetera. So um, I think it's really big for Bean, though, because he can have, like you said, two more years, and this year – if they can finish it strong, can definitely go down as that sort of bridge year, right? Like, well, he was here, he got his speed under him, he figured it out a little bit, he got comfortable, and and now there's some expectations for him heading into year two and year three of his time at Kansas. So I, I think that, yeah, I think that's great. Leipold talked about that today. I'm sure you heard it. Um, you know, that he, he noted how a week ago we were in that very same um, press conference room talking about if they were thinking about making a change at quarterback and then they challenged him and, and he went out there and played his best game and, and obviously almost did something special. So um, th- that, if nothing else, that shows you what, what he's made of. And, and I think when you combine that with the idea that he should be week after week after week getting just a little bit more comfortable, um, I, I think there's, there's plenty of reason to hope that not just next year and the year after can be big years for him, but also um, that, that maybe you'll see a little bit better finish um, to the year than, than he kind of had in that, the middle where he kind of slumped a little bit because he started well. He, he, you know, he was a breath of fresh air. He was exciting. The fans got excited. Um, somebody you could, you could get behind at that position. And, uh, and, and then he kind of fell off a little bit and led to what we talked about a minute ago. But, but yeah, now, I mean, if you've got a kid who's capable physically and, and then he gets it mentally and, and has a little confidence and starts to bring some swagger to the field with him, um, yeah, you're looking at a guy that could that could be a huge part of the next couple of years, no question about it. We're talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World here on RCST. I, uh, I do want to switch gears, talk a little KU basketball. We're two weeks out as of today from the first game. Um, you just wrote an article about Dewan Harris and Remy Martin playing a lot together. If they both, and, and I don't know if this is the indication, maybe it's just they play together and they close together or something. doesn't mean they both have to start, but if that is an indication that they're both going to start, what do you think that means for the starting lineup? Because that means that you would think, I mean, one of the four returning starters would have to be coming off the bench. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it means they're going to start together. Um, I don't know that it doesn't though. So, um, you know, and, and, and at media day last week, that was one of the big themes that self kept emphasizing was, you know, we, we've got, to figure it out in the next two weeks, how we're gonna how we're gonna attack this thing from a lineup perspective, or how are we gonna make all the pieces fit and and give the guys the, the minutes they deserve, and 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 how who's gonna play with who, and you know that's 
that's a big two week period here between now and and go time when when Michigan State's on the on the court with you. So, um, you know, there's there's still time to figure that out, but it's it's quickly dwindling. And and I do think that um, I do think that for the argument's sake here, for for the sake of what you just asked, I think we can we can go there. My guess would be it, his indications about liking those two together doesn't mean he'd, he'd start them both. Let's say they do. Um, yeah, you, you're looking at that point like you have to take one of those three other guards off the floor, um, whether that's Ochai or, or Christian Brown or Jalen Wilson. And uh, I, I know Jalen's a forward, but you know he's got guard skills too, and and, uh, and all that. So I, you know, I don't know how you pick that. I don't think it would be Ochai. So I think it would come down to um, Brown or Wilson. And I don't, I don't know how you make that choice. Maybe it's hot hand. Maybe it's, uh, you know, one of them has a little better vibe coming off the bench and, and you can, you know, you can feel good about that. He embraces that role as the sixth man or something like that. Um, maybe one of them, you know, is a little bit better at handling that uh, because maybe maybe it means something to, to to be a starter in one of their minds and it doesn't mean as much to the other or something like that. I don't know. You'd have to get lucky and, and hope you kind of stumble upon one of those one of those magic buttons because otherwise I don't know how you pick. They're all important. They're all going to have to play. They're all going to play big minutes. And, and, and that's kind of the bottom line. I mean, I, you know, it, it really, how many years in a row have we heard self say it doesn't matter who starts, right. And how, how the media makes too much out of who starts. Well, I think you might as well embrace or, or, or brace yourself for, uh, for hearing that a lot this year too, because he's got a roster full of talented dudes that he's going to want to get minutes. And, and I, I think they'll have a plan and I think they, they will have a plan that is so sort of, uh, what would the word be endorsed by the players or, or bought into by the players. And, and, you know, at that point, that's really all that matters. If he says to Joseph Yusefu or to, uh, Dewan Harris or to Cam Martin or to whoever, if he says, hey, you're going to play 25 minutes a game, just trust me. You know, We'll get you in when, when you belong and when we need you and where you fit, and that's how it'll be. But you'll get your 20, 25 minutes, and, and you're going to have plenty of time to impact the game. I mean, I feel like that's going to be a pretty common conversation with a lot of guys. You know, There are two or three guys probably that, that, that don't have to hear that conversation, David McCormick being the, the, the biggest of the bunch probably. But um, I, I do think that this year, more than any year, will we'll really give some support to that idea that self continues to preach, which is it just doesn't matter who starts. It's, it's a matter of how guys play when they're out there, who finishes the game, and, and who plays well with who. And, and so um, it's a luxury. It's a big-time luxury to have that as an opportunity. Um, and, and it's such a departure from last year because when you look at last year, you knew who they were going to play, and it was an adventure going to the bench anytime he did and some guys had good games off the bench some guys had terrible games off the bench but the problem was it was inconsistent and you just didn't know who it was going to be or how it was going to go and and i don't think that'll be the case this year yeah i i wonder like how many guys are in store for less minutes than they averaged a season ago because of the added depth like Maybe uh, all of them. Uh, maybe. I mean, David McCormick is, is tough because he averaged 23 minutes a game, and you could convince yourself it's 25 this year, right? But right, I don't right. think it's going to be a lot more than that. Um, Jalen Wilson was at 28. I don't know. That might be about right. 
Christian Brown, I would probably take the under on 31. Ochag Baji at 33.7. Again, like I think Ochai and Christian are going to be better than they were last year, but I would still take the under on both of their minutes. Mitch Lightfoot was at 10.6. I'd take the under on that. Like, I, I think the only guy I would take the over on where his minutes were last year is probably Dewan Harris. He was at 16 minutes a game last 16, year. Yeah, right, right. I, I think that's probably right. I mean, I, you know, and, and the one thing you have to remember, too, if this team is as good as it looks like they could be, all those guys that you just mentioned are going to get some time in the last six, eight, ten minutes of games mm-hmm. where they don't have to be on the floor at all. And, you know, maybe that's where you get K.J. Adams a little extra run and Bobby Pettiford a little extra run. And, and maybe that's where Mitch gets some time. And, and uh, Jalen Coleman-Lands is another guy who could, who could play in those types of closing minutes in games that are well in hand and things like that. So, you know, if, if, you, if you feel like this team's got a chance to be as good as a lot of people think they will be, then they're going to have a lot of games that they that they just run away from people, even perhaps in Big 12 play. And uh, you know those will be more rare because it is a good conference and 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 it's and it's tough most nights. But you know you're talking about Iowa State in a rebuild. You're talking about K State. We're we're not real sure what they have yet, and they've got a bunch of new players. And and you know it may it may take some time there too. So you know there's there's four games right there where even in conference play, it could go that way. So I think that can factor into it. Um, you know, now having said that self's not always the best at, um, <laughs> at making sure he pulls guys out late in games. There, there've been plenty of games over my time covering this program where I've, I thought, wonder why Doke's still out there. You know, this game's over. What is what? And, and, you know, and, and some of that is, is just, uh, it's about reps. It's about chemistry. It's about, you know, like we're going to go out and do what we do and we need as much practice doing it as we can, especially against another team. And so sometimes it's hard for him to, to, to pull guys and, and just cruise to victory. Um, but, but I do think they'll have more opportunities to do that this year than maybe they do most years. So that'll factor uh, into to how many minutes guys get as well. And, and, and I think, but I think what you said about, you know, when you read off the minutes there, I think, I think it's very possible that most of those will be uh, minutes per game will be will be a little lower than they were last year, and I think all those guys would tell you right now here today that that's okay. I mean, I think I, I think of course all of them would want to play forty minutes, but I think they realize that that playing forty minutes at peak performance at max effort is not easy to do and and you don't always play flawless basketball then you know so if you can convince Ochai and Christian Brown and David McCormick that hey you're going to play some less time but what that's going to allow you to do is stay fresh during games and stay fresh at the end of the season and be fresh down the stretch and you know when you're out there you're going to really play at a high level the entire time it's sort of like hockey lines right you hop over the boards you go hard for two minutes and then you go sit and uh, somebody else goes in and does it. But what, what you do when you're out there is skate like hell and, and hit guys, and then you, you go get your breather. And so there'll be a little of that. I think that if those guys can buy into that idea, then I, I think that, that you'll probably see their performance stay right where it needs to be and their production right where they want it to be. And then all, all that matters then is, well, guess what? Those fewer minutes that you're playing is just leading you to being fresher, and that's a good thing. He's Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. Matt, before I let you go, uh, are you going to find a way to sneak into the building this Saturday for the KU Tulsa secret scrimmage and get some stats or information? What's going on there? 
I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know what 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 Saturday is. I don't know anything about any secrets. I don't all I know is Sunday is Halloween and that's really my entire focus right now. So I, mm. I don't know what you're talking about. Pros pro. Just <laughs> don't incriminate yourself on, on public radio. All right, that is there Matt is. Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, thank you so much for the time, man. All right, Derek. Thanks, man. Take care. All right, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Joins us on Tuesdays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. One hour down, two to go. Kevin Flaherty joins us in about 45 minutes. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Kevin Flaherty joins us in about 35 minutes. Talk some Big 12 football. We'll have our college football whip around coming up next. But first, we have some more Ochag Baji and... David McCormick audio to share for you today and a couple other shows throughout the weeks. They talked for like 45 minutes of availability with them, and there was a lot of insightful stuff, so I don't want to leave anything unturned. So here is some more of the Big 12 men's basketball media day audio with those two KU basketball players, Ochag Baji and David McCormick. Uh, I think one of you guys have mentioned KJ. What is it about him? I would say, yeah, the biggest thing about him, um, it doesn't matter if he scores or not. Um, we're not looking for him to score. We're looking for him to facilitate for others, to screen for others, um, kind of play unselfish in a way. So that's his role, and he knows it perfectly. He knows that's his way to get on the court and his way to get minutes. So, um you know, him being mature about that and going about that and kind of sacrificing his whole entire game and what he wants to do selfishly um, is, is good to see as a freshman coming in. And did either of you early on know your role when you were in his shoes? I mean, is it is it unique for something like that or is it does it happen? Uh, it just depends. I was going to say, it definitely yeah. wasn't unique for me because I was kind of in the same role. You know, coach let me know. Uh, coming in, I played with a high motor. I was tenacious. Um, so I just kind of embraced that, you know. My job was to grab rebounds, move the ball, set good ball screens in that sense. And then if I score, I score. But usually my, my scoring came off of offensive rebounds. So I just took advantage of that and let it kind of just translate into the rest of my game. And David, um, having the offense be more four guard, one center in, how has that kind of impacted the way that you started of become impact, impacted the way you've been in practice and kind of developed your game as a center? Uh, it's definitely helped me out as far as being able to score from both sides of the paint. You know, usually we play with two bigs. One side is probably taken up, but playing four one out gives me a lot of a lot of space, a lot of room to move. It's also made me a better passer out of the post because you know if you're playing four guards, more than likely, or for my my experience, they'll trap. So it makes me a, a better passer out of the post. It makes me a, a better screen and roller, uh, giving a lot of space on the floor. So I think that's how it's just kind of changed my game from high school. And having so many guards to kind of pick from for Bill Self yeah. and playing alongside them, what is that kind of practice environment like for you? Um, I mean, it's a it's a lot. We obviously have a lot of depth um, on our in our guards' positions. So um, a lot of guys rotating in during practice. Um, 
not something I'm used to, but it is good to see all the guys, like the young guys and the, the newcomers, um, getting go those good reps and all that. But having depth on the wing is good um, because you know you have guys that can make plays uh, and are talented that can you know affect your team in a positive way. And both of you guys, I know, have NBA aspirations. Having a offense that's similar to what you're seeing in the NBA right now, even though it's leaning more towards positionless basketball, what do you think this is going to do for you guys kind of making that campaign for yourself? I think uh, Coach does a great job as far as uh, spreading the floor and letting the ball move fast, and I know that's a big key at the next level. So I think for me it, it helps me out as far as consistently being active, consistently running to the rim, setting more ball screens, um, and being spatially aware of defenders, things like that, the small things that you'll have to accommodate to at the next level is being brought to us uh, even earlier. So I think that's a big key to the game. Uh, I'd say for my role um, specifically um, in the NBA is maybe being like a 3 and D guy, uh, playing off of other guys, playing off the point guard, uh, usually having the point guard facilitate for you, um, just being ready to catch and shoot or play off your shot fake, stuff like that, or also facilitate for others and using ball screens. So all that kind of translates, um, but really just being consistent in that role um, is what professionals do. So. We've heard a lot about DeJuan Harris and his improvement. What are some ways you think he's elevated this game? He can uh, shoot. I'd say, yeah, he can, <laughs> he can shoot. shoot. And, like, I, before, even last year, he could shoot. And the year before that, like, I've always thought um, DeJuan could shoot. Um, and I've been playing with him for, I think this is four or five years now since, like, AU and um, kind of we just have that chemistry. And he has that chemistry with, with CB2 kind of on the wing of, like, where to be and like when he's going to pass it or where he might pass it or where he might look for you at on the court. So um, just I think that's improved and that his level of confidence and with more confidence that that means more, you know, facilitation for us and, and other guys. All right. So that was David McCormick and Ochai Baji at uh, Big 12 Media Days. And I, I think the most prevalent piece of that chunk of audio was Ochai talking about KJ Adams at the beginning there because this is a guy that I've talked a lot about over this last week, ever since Big 12 Media Days, he just gets raved about. And, and the commentary you had there, you know, as a freshman sacrificing basically your role to allow you to do things that are going to get you onto the court. I think he's going to be a part of the rotation. Now, will he make it to the rotation when things get cut down to maybe seven guys or maybe eight guys come March. I don't know. But I think he's going to be at least in that top ten. I think he might be in that top nine. The way I look at it, like, Joseph Yesifu, Remy Martin, Dewan Harris, I think all three of them are locks to play. Christian Brown, Ochag Baji, locks to play. That gets you up to five. David McCormick, Cam Martin, locks to play. That gets you up to seven. I know it's been said that you could play 10 guys. I'm going to lean on the safer side and say nine. So that would mean two more guys. And the 10th guy is more so somebody I view as maybe you'll play 10 guys in a game, but it's not going to be the same 10th guy. And that 10th guy might only play for a four or five minute stretch. And then maybe a couple minutes at the end of the game. So for those last two spots, you're talking between, I guess, like Bobby Pettiford. If you're going to play another guard, you're talking... Jalen Coleman lands, but it almost feels like Jalen Coleman lands was brought in as Ochai insurance. And now that Ochai is here, 
I'm wondering how much he's going to play, but also he's like a 25-year-old grad transfer. Did you bring him in not to play? And then you have your top recruit, which is Zach Clemens. But I just think that K.J. Adams is going to fit in to a specific role, that he will be one of those, you know, I guess last couple of spots. And the fact that he's versatile, you can play him at the three, four, the five, and he is going to give you a little of that Mark Vital, like I don't need to score, I can do all these little things. I think he is going to be... uh, a big participant in this team this year. Here is some more of Ochag Baji and David McCormick at Big 12 Media Days from last week. Hey, David, I saw I saw well, yesterday you, you had a, a full core shot, um, like and you were having fun. I mean, how important is it to have fun in a season where everywhere you go, like expectations are so high and there's not a lot of... Oh, you got to have fun all the time. I mean, yes, it's a passion, and um, you do have to take it serious in moments, but the whole point of playing this game is to have joy and have fun with it. Um, you know, a lot of people say the moment they, have, they stop having fun with it, they're done with it. So I, I just got to enjoy it and embrace all the ups and downs that come with it and just, you know, laugh it out. You can't take everything too serious all the time. You know what I mean? It's just... Enjoy the game and take it in bits and pieces. And as a team off the court, is that something you guys do together as well? Oh, of course. You know, um, what Coach says all the time is like, we'll get into practice and there'll be uh, trash talking and there'll be fouls. There's things like that that just comes with the game. But the moment we leave those four lines and we're back in the locker room, we're back to joking and we're back to having fun, we're able to leave it all on the court. And I think that's what makes us a great team. You used the word chemistry a little bit ago. I'm curious with the change in the in the sport now with so many transfers and everything and a lot of new faces. How difficult is it and how important is it to develop chemistry with all the new faces that you have before the season starts? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like what David was saying a little bit earlier. I don't think you were okay, here. I'm sorry but about that. No, no, it's okay. Um, uh, he was just talking about how the summer um, is really important, and last year we didn't have a summer. So with uh, all the freshmen and all the transfers that we got last year, um, you didn't really get to build that same chemistry. Like two months does a lot to a team as opposed to just starting off right from the jump in August or September and then starting there to build that chemistry. Um, it definitely makes a difference because the team that came back when they did have a summer was way different. And, um, you know, that's kind of how we're, we're riding on that chemistry of, like, building that and, you know, everyone's close with each other. So that's really important just for being a successful team. And I apologize if you covered this as well, but are you guys able to spend a lot more time physically together even when you're not playing basketball than you were last year? Yeah, yeah, way more time. Um, outside of basketball, you know, we're all hanging out in each other's rooms or, you know, planning some random events on the weekends or going to see the movies or going to the movies, stuff like that. So we get to we get to do a lot, a lot more things now, obviously, um, with our teammates and just outside of basketball. The flip side is that you two have actually had a chance to play together for quite some time now compared to that might be kind of a rarity in college basketball to have two guys that have had as much experience together. In what ways do you think that gives you an advantage, the two of you? Um, I think we both step up to a leadership role and, you know, we can split it evenly. Like, we don't feel that one is, uh, so so to speak, higher than, higher than the other. But I think the best part is we know each other well enough to say when somebody's having a down game, I know how to get him you know, out of his own head and just kind of play for the team. And, uh, you know, it's just, like you said, it's, it's very rare. So you kind of build like a bond and the 
fact that you can step into a leadership role with your brother that you've been here for a while means a lot and I think it's going to carry the team a, uh, a long way because it's only it's also something for the younger guys and freshmen to look up to and hopefully have the same type of uh, brother brotherhood later on. I got a couple of superlatives I want to ask both of you guys. Who's the best shooter on the team? You are? Yeah. Dave, what's your answer? All I'm saying is I didn't miss last year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best dunker on the team? I, I feel like you need to I'll give him that I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, I'm just, yeah, I'm Who's the best defender on the team? Uh, my, my answer is Juan. Uh, I'd say, Juan I would say Juan or Joe. Joe goes to yeah. Who's the best shooter again? Me. And the best dunker? Yeah. I'm just saying, just check the percentages from last year. <laughs> I didn't miss. Have you guys seen Squid Game? You mentioned him. Oh, each other. for sure. Who yeah. do you think on the team would survive the longest? <laughs> Guaranteed. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would be out at the the cookie part. That's the that's the only one I can think of because I wouldn't be able to like think that fast to to lick the back of it. So I would definitely crack the crack strategy. You can to win. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I will say, take one game at a time. You guys play a loaded schedule. Is there? I mean, Michigan State, Kentucky, at Colorado. Is there? And plus the Big Twelve schedule. You guys have. Is there a game that you circle? Um, you got a bunch. Uh, you got a bunch. For me, just because I've always heard about the rivalry and the border, and it's like I finally get to experience this, and it's in the field house, and we get to peck out again. I, you know, my family was like, oh, well, what game do you want us to come out to? I was like, you got to come to the Mizzou game. You know, having him and CB and Juan and all, everybody just kind of hype it up. I was like, I'm ready. I'm just ready for the hype, and I'm ready to play. Like, I'm I'm amped up about it already. It sounds like it's something that CB takes quite seriously. Oh, very. He, he does. It, it's near and dear to him. Yeah, it, yeah. If we had the game last year when his brother was actually playing for the team, it would have been maybe a little bit more serious. But his his mom played there, and obviously his brothers played there, so there is that there. Have you seen um, highlights of the last game in 2012? Uh, was that the was that the T Rob block? block? Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> Hot, crazy game. So the um, one circled. I would say yeah, that circled. Zoo circled. Kentucky's um, definitely circled. Kentucky circled. It's called a game day, ain't um, it? At Texas, and Texas at home is circled. Texas at home is senior night. It is? Yes. Uh, that's definitely circled. Definitely circled. Um, you know, it's... Baylor circled. For sure. Um, I think also just like Oklahoma State... Uh, Oklahoma State. Has one just because, you know, previous players, uh, ISU's also got a nice little star to it just because uh, Tristan is going to be like just some friendly banter, trash talking with his. So I think, honestly, every game is going to have... Uh, some impact, but I think the those first two is going to be the bigger ones. I'm glad that they gave, like, honest answers about which games they're circling because, you know, sometimes you'll get, you know, players or coaches, and they'll give you the coach speak, like, oh, all of them matter. We're, we're not looking ahead to any of them. And, like, I get it, but, you know, I, I appreciate the honesty because I do have a hard time believing there aren't certain games that even if somebody were to come out and be like, no, we're just one game at a time. Like, yes, once you get to the game, you're focusing on that. But when the schedule comes out before the season, of course you have certain games that you circle. Um, a couple other things from that audio chunk. One, the question that I asked Dave and Ochai um, about Squid Game, Dave raised his hand and said, I would survive the longest. So David McCormick, the best survivalist on the team, um, Ochai Baji said he would he would die. I I might ask all the players and get kind of a head count whenever. Normally there's KU basketball media day. I don't know if that's happening this year. 
but I don't know if it is, maybe uh, that'll be a little straw poll there. Um, the other thing that I found was interesting in asking them superlatives. When I asked them who was the best defender on the team, they both gave what they said Juan, Dewan Harris, and Ochai also added in there Joe Yesifu. Now that's interesting because Joe Yesifu, he, he wasn't, when KU brought him on, it wasn't mentioned that he was like a crazy defender. Now it wasn't mentioned that he was, you know, he wasn't a bad defender or anything like that, but that wasn't one of the things that was mentioned. For him to be put in that company, I think is a very good thing for Yesifu, and I think it just adds to the idea of KU wanting to play fast. It adds to the idea of KU pressuring the ball because it's not just Remy Martin or Dewan Harris. You can do it with Joe Yesifu. Whoever's on the court is able to go out there and do it, and that just adds to his playing ability. That adds to how often he could be on the court. That adds to the different lineups you could do because, you know, if, if Joe Yesifu and Dewan Harris are on the court at the same time, both those guys are a little smaller in stature. So you got to make up for it with that highly pressured in your grill defense. But it sounds like they can both do that. And with Dewan Harris, more glowing reviews about him that continue to add to the idea that he's going to probably play a pretty big role on this team. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us in about 20 minutes. On the other side, college football whip around. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins the show in 15 minutes from right now. We'll talk some Big 12 football with Kevin. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. You can check out our best of RCST podcast. All right, I, I wanted to get into a quick college football whip around before we bring Kevin on. Um, and we'll leave kind of some of the Big 12 stuff for Kevin. But first up with the college football whip around portion of it, is kind of in relation to the Big 12. Alabama jumped Oklahoma in the top 25 poll. And I guess this doesn't really mean much because the AP poll isn't what determines the playoff. That's the college football playoff committee. But it's just very interesting because Alabama is a one-loss team. Oklahoma is undefeated. And I go back to the first year of the college football playoff. You had Florida State who made the playoff. They were undefeated. And you couldn't take them out. They were the defending national champions. They hadn't lost a game in a Power 5 conference. But every week you watch them, they were barely beating these teams. And it was like, is is this really top four team? And ended up they getting they, they got crushed in the semifinals. And you had teams like TCU and Baylor with one loss not make it. So it's unfortunate because we're at a spot with only four teams making it in that you have to give it to the undefeated team because... You know, you you did everything you were supposed to. You won every game. You should not get punished for that. But if we were in a situation where we had more playoff teams, then I think you would see this more often, where one-loss teams would be ahead of undefeated teams in the Power Five. And I wouldn't have a problem with it as long as you have the access that more teams are getting in the playoffs and that, you know, even if an undefeated team is behind a one-loss team, the undefeated team is still getting in. That's the most important part of this. Um, but definitely, I think it shows... Things are not really turning the right way for Oklahoma. They make the switch to Caleb Williams, and it was like, okay, this will be what the fix needs. You know, they're they're good to go from here. They're going to go undefeated. Caleb Williams is going to be a Heisman candidate. Not so fast is what happened in the game against Kansas. So, I mean, Alabama is probably a better team than Oklahoma. And honestly, 
After that showing against Kansas for Oklahoma, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, I kind of think Iowa State might be the best team in the Big 12, but we'll talk more about that with Kevin. Penn State is now the potential wrecking ball in the college football playoff. They lost their second game to Illinois, and now they still have to play Ohio State. I mean, this whole division is insane. You have Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, all in the same division. Penn State still has to play all of those schools. And all of those schools are top 10 teams. Michigan, Michigan State undefeated. One of them will have a loss after this week. Ohio State has one loss. Penn State is a team that can throw a wrench into the Big Ten's plans for the college football playoff. If they beat Ohio State this week, that's the second loss for Ohio State. See ya. If they were to lose to Ohio State, but, you know, what happens if they go out and beat Michigan? And then Michigan were to lose another. I don't know. Like, Penn State can be the wrecking ball in the college football playoff for the Big Ten. That's dangerous because it's a very talented team coming off an upset, especially for this Ohio State game. Now, James Franklin hasn't had the success in the big games, so to speak. So I don't expect them to win, but certainly they have that ability to do just that. Okay, who is still alive in the college football playoff? Do this every week. Reminder on the rules. Rule one, don't have two losses. If you have two losses, you're done. The only exception to that, you're the SEC champ. If you win the SEC, two losses is excusable. We saw it with Auburn a couple of years ago. They were going to be in the playoff until they lost in the SEC championship. Uh, rule number two, if you're a group of five school, be good a season ago, play marquee games, go undefeated, hope for chaos around you. Right, you can be good a season ago. You can have a good past, a good history. You can play a couple marquee games. You can still go undefeated, and you still might not make it. But you got to hope for the cast around you, which there's been enough this year, but also as much chaos as there has already been this year. Like Cincinnati right now is ranked high enough to be in the top 25, but come playoff time, if all these other schools win out, like if Oklahoma and Ohio State won out, and Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC title, Cincinnati's not getting in. So they still need a root for chaos, even though they've gotten some of these other things. And then the final rule, if you lose just one time, because if you lose twice, you're out, unless you're SEC. But if you lose just one time, A, you have to be in the Power Five. B, it has to come against a good team. But it also can't come against a good team who's right next to you in the rankings, because then they'll be ranked in front of you. Uh, C, if it's not a good team... It needs to be, I guess, a mediocre team where it's not a terrible team. And then the add-on to that, if it's a horrible team, you're probably done. But if it's at least a mediocre team, just don't get blown out or get revenge. Hope that you play them later in the year, but most likely that means they're a good team if you get to play them twice because the conference championship. Or, again, just don't get blown out. We saw that happen with Ohio State a couple of years ago. They got blown out by Purdue, who was a... I don't know, five and seven, six and six Purdue team that kept them out of the playoff. So if you lose to a mediocre team, better not be a blowout. All right. So we went down from 28 teams who were still alive to 21 teams who were still alive as of last week. This week, we are at 20. And I actually added a school. It usually goes the other way. I'm hesitant on this one. We'll, we'll get to this. So in the ACC, Wake Forest still alive. They're undefeated in the ACC. Makes sense, right? They go undefeated. Down as the ACC is, they'll still probably get in. Going undefeated. 
That'll be an interesting debate. If Wake Forest goes undefeated, Ohio State wins out. They only have one loss. Ohio State's probably making it in over at Wake Forest at that point. But you know how much of an outcry that would get? An undefeated Power 5 champion. Again, this goes back to the conversation about Florida State. It's fine if there's more inclusion in the playoffs, but because there's only four spots, you have to give that to them. Uh, Pittsburgh is the team I added. And this is the one I'm hesitant on because Pittsburgh has one loss. Pittsburgh has Kenny Pickett, who is a legit Heisman candidate. But the issue is their one loss is to Western Michigan. So if we go back to the rule book, you know, it better not, you can't lose to a horrible team. Well, Western Michigan's not a horrible team. Even though they're in the MAC, it's a five and three team. So they probably classify more under the mediocre team side of things. And they only lost in a, by three. So if they win out, it won't be totally excused. It's going to be used against them, but it's not too much to overcome. So I guess they're still alive, but they need Western Michigan to win seven or eight games in the MAC. Um, and so far, they've been passing other tests. They beat Tennessee. They could use Tennessee getting a big win in the SEC to help that win. You beat Clemson this past week. You're going to have opportunities against, I don't know, we'll, we'll see who else ends up being good because every week different teams in the ACC are falling apart, whether it's Virginia Tech, formerly ranked, now not. Virginia showing some flashes. North Carolina showing some flashes. So I don't know. But they have a chance at the very least. So I'll put them back in there. Big 12, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, all still alive. Oklahoma State lost this past weekend, but still just one loss. If Oklahoma State were to win out, they're still alive for the playoffs. Same for Baylor, just one loss. Uh, Big Ten, Michigan, Michigan State, both undefeated. Iowa still has just one loss. Yes, it was to Purdue. If they win out, they'll probably still make it. Right, you still have marquee game against uh, Wisconsin. You still have... Uh, Big Ten championship game, which would be against Ohio State or Michigan or something like that if it happens. So they can still make it. But Penn State gone after they lost their second one. But again, they can be kind of the potential wrecking ball in the college football playoff race. Pac-12, Oregon got a big win against UCLA. I thought UCLA was going to win. Oregon ends up coming out victorious. That keeps them alive for the playoff. And then the SEC, Georgia, Kentucky, Alabama, Ole Miss, Auburn, Texas A&M. Those are all teams with two or less losses. So still alive until they at least can't win the SEC. Because if you have two losses in the SEC, you have to win the SEC. Uh, Independence, Notre Dame is still technically alive. They have just one loss. If they were to win out, they're in the discussion. And then the group of five, Cincinnati. The other two are kind of stretches similar to Pittsburgh. SMU's undefeated. The problem for SMU is their TCU win, which looked good early in the year. Now TCU is three and four. So I don't know how much weight that, that that carries, but if SMU goes undefeated and beats Cincinnati, that's going to count for a lot. So I guess they have a slight chance in San Diego State. It's hard for me to see them in, but you beat Utah, who now Utah is leading the South, but they're four and three. So like, how much is that win going to matter? But if Utah were to win out, go ten and three, and win the Pac-12, and were to be a top. 20 top 15 team. That would be a nice resume win. You're playing Fresno State this week, where if you beat Fresno State, that's a team who beat UCLA. You have 
some opportunities there for your San Diego State. You beat Boise State later this year, who beat BYU, who beat Arizona State and all these different schools. So, like, there's enough there with San Diego State that's interesting. And UTSA is also undefeated in the group of five, but no chance for UTSA based on the schedule. So that's who's still alive. Let's talk more college football, specifically on the Big 12. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us next. Oklahoma barely beats Kansas. Iowa State scores a big win over Oklahoma State. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, are you ready to join me on the bandwagon? Iowa State is the best team in the Big 12. You know, I think Iowa State is playing the best football in the Big 12, which I think is, you know, kind of on the bandwagon, maybe even three-quarters of the way on the bandwagon, maybe my cast hanging <laughs> off, you know, a little bit, but... Uh, but mostly on the bandwagon, uh, I, I do think Iowa State, you know, looks like it could be the best team in the Big 12 right now. But I think that if you had the Big 12 title game right now this weekend, I, I think Iowa State would probably be the, the best team in the Big 12. Are, I'm almost at a point with, I don't know, maybe this is it's more so me being sour in Oklahoma where um, – I, I don't know how far I want to go with this. Uh, should a one-loss Oklahoma, if they were to get upended but then win the rest of their games, win the Big 12, would you put a one-loss Oklahoma in over an undefeated Cincinnati? You know, I don't know that I would. I, I think in a lot of years, probably yes, but I think that one of the things that the committee has always talked about is not just winning but the way that you look and, and the fact that they're trying to pick the best teams and I think that when you look at Oklahoma's record today, you look at what they've done and and everything else, you can also say what they haven't done. And what they haven't done is they haven't gone out and really put on tape a bunch of impressive wins over various teams where you can look at it and say that's what a top-four team, that's what a top-five team looks like. And so I think an undefeated Oklahoma team – an undefeated Cincinnati team, yeah, you're, you're still looking at Oklahoma getting the nod there, but I think you add that extra loss into the equation along with all the close calls that Oklahoma's having, the situation the Sooners found themselves in in Lawrence last week where you know you maybe even have a questionable call that, that prevents Kansas from having a chance to win the game at the very end of the contest. Uh, I think you put sort of all of those things together and, and add an extra loss in there, I think you'd go with Cincinnati. Okay, what happens? Would it be a discussion at all with undefeated Oklahoma and undefeated Cincinnati if Oklahoma were to stay undefeated but keep winning like they're winning now, which is kind of playing with fire but continuing to get the W on the schedule? I still think you go Oklahoma at that point. I think that's what the committee has done in the past even when that hasn't really worked out for him. You know, when you look at that Florida State team is the one that I think keeps jumping out. I think, didn't you mention them last yeah. week, Derek? Yeah, where it's kind of like, well, okay, they're they're limping along. They're barely winning, but they're winning. So we're going to go ahead and, and give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think that, you know, the, the most important thing that any team can have is, is that zero in the loss column. And so if Oklahoma does win all of its games, even if the rest of them are, are similarly unimpressive and, 
and there are more close calls built in and, and everything else, I, I don't think you're really in a situation where Oklahoma winds up getting pushed out as long as the Sooners beat the teams that are in front of them, which, quite frankly, not to go too far off topic, but I think that's part of the reason why it makes a lot of sense to expand the college football playoff because you have a team like Oklahoma where you say, okay, if you beat all the teams in front of you, that's basically controlling what you can control. You get a spot in the college football playoff. You take the same exact situation for Cincinnati. They win every game that's in front of them. Maybe they get left out of the playoff, and you you know you say that that's not enough. And so I do think that that's why there needs to you know maybe be a spot or two you know potentially for a for a school that does run through everybody to to get a chance to get in. Yeah, and I was just talking about this in regards to Alabama jumped Oklahoma in the AP poll despite having one loss, and I know the AP poll isn't the the playoff committee rankings, so who knows what they would have done, but. I think it, it's tough because in a land where we only have four college football playoff teams, four slots available, I don't think you can do that. And so as much as I, I mentioned that Florida State team, I can't blame them for putting in because you did everything in your power to make, like, you didn't do anything wrong technically. You won every game. What else do you want them to do? And, and that would be the beauty of having the expanded playoff to where, if you had an 18 playoff, for instance, or I guess 12, what they've talked about, um, if Oklahoma goes undefeated, they're still getting in. But then I wouldn't have an issue if you said, hey, we have a one-loss Alabama over Oklahoma, where in a 12-team playoff, that's fine because both are still making it. But in the 14 playoff, you just can't afford to do that. Sure. Hey, you're talking about limited spots, and even beyond that, you know, the the seeding does matter and in terms of who you're you're going to wind up playing in those games. And so, yeah, it, it'll be fascinating to see if Alabama does wind up running through and winds up with that one loss and if Oklahoma continues on its on its current path and, and winds up undefeated to see, you know, you figure Alabama would still be in at that point. The question for me would be, you know, does Alabama get even a better seed? than Oklahoma, even though Oklahoma would be undefeated, Alabama with the one loss. I think one of the things that we've seen in the polls is people are a lot more forgiving uh, of close games, close calls, you know, losses and things like that when they come within SEC play. I mean, you look at the fact that, yes, Alabama lost to Texas A&M, but let's be honest, they lost to Texas A&M without Texas A&M starting quarterback. And Texas A&M has had other injuries and things like that. And, and Alabama was stretched to the very limit by Florida as well. You know, it, it's not like the Crimson Tide don't have a, a couple games in there that you can look at, you know, with a, with a magnifying glass a little bit and, and maybe get a, a little bit more dirt than you're used to getting from the Crimson Tide. But at the same time, I think when you go ahead and, and look at it against you know, the the nation's other top teams, if Alabama is still sitting there with one loss, I have a hard time believing Alabama is not getting in. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. A two-loss team has never made it into the college football playoff, and it would have happened had Auburn a few years back won the SEC title, but then they ended up losing to Georgia. So Georgia ended up getting in. Would you, if Iowa State were to win out, do you think there's going to be a legit bid at a playoff spot? 
I don't think so, and it's unfortunate because I, I think Iowa State has one of the better cases, certainly, for for a two-loss team that you could find, and that really in both of their losses, Iowa State drastically outplayed their opponent and lost anyway. And, you know, that happens on, on certain football Saturdays, and, and certainly, you know, you look at the, the Iowa game, I think they doubled Iowa's yardage, but had too many turnovers. They play Baylor. They, you know, put up a lot more yardage than Baylor gener- generally were the better team in that game, but Baylor got a couple big plays on, on special teams, and all of that counts. You know, turnovers count, special teams count. You know, I, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying you have a case where Iowa State could be sitting there with two losses where you could legitimately say, hey, Iowa State was the better team every single time it took the field this year. Uh, but at the same time, I I think two losses, as good as Baylor has been, you know, Baylor is probably going to wind up being what? Probably an eight and four team, wouldn't you say, Derek? Somewhere around in there, maybe seven and five, something like that. And so you, you have a loss like that. You know, Iowa has been, you know, kind of uh, debunked a little bit in terms of not really actually being a, a top five-ish type team. And so when you go back and look at it at the end of the year, I'm not sure either of those losses is going to look quite as good as what it looked like at the time either. And so I think that that factors in as well. So Kansas, what got to this whole discussion with Oklahoma to begin with, almost beats Oklahoma. Um, From this point forward, based on what you saw with with KU and what went well in that game, do you think – They'll win a game the rest of the way? You know, I think there's a chance they can. I, I think there are some teams and situations in there where there's a chance that Kansas could pull the upset. A lot's going to depend on, on those other teams, obviously, and and how well they, they show up on, on a given Saturday. But the other part about it, Derek, is a lot depends on Kansas. And, and that brings me to, you know, one of the biggest things now is – Kansas is obviously, you know, in some sort of slump when you talk about the fact that they haven't won more than three games in a season, you know, since Mark Mangino left, you know, and since 2009 was the last time it happened. And we've had some positive moments in there, right? Like you have the upsets over TCU, over Texas, you know, you had them start to look uh, a little bit solid in Les Miles' first year where maybe they had a chance to, to win as many as seven games, depending on the way, you know, ball bounced and, and things like that. But the thing that I always keep coming back to, and, and I know that you and I have talked about this exact moment, is that Kansas State game in Les Miles' first year, right? Because they played well, they they'd won a game – and they come into Memorial Stadium, and it's packed. The fans are there. They want to see something. They, you know, they're almost yearning for something positive. And there just wasn't really a positive moment you could take away from that game. And you know, it was just. I think you you had an opportunity there and an opportunity lost. And I'm not saying that. You know, we have a lot of expectations this year for for Lance Leipold or, or the staff to to string together a few wins here or, or for them to, to really even accomplish anything. But one of the best things that they could do to help themselves, Derek, would be to show up, you know, to, to play 
like they did against Oklahoma, to play more fundamentally like they did in that game, to show up with the way that they competed in that game. If they can stack a couple of those games together, if they can show up well against Oklahoma State this weekend, if they can throw a scare into somebody else, I think that's where you start to sort of generate momentum not just with the players and the confidence that they you know, should have after what happened on Saturday, and not just around the program, but also potentially generating optimism with fans and having them feel like, hey, we're, we're trending in the right direction. This is a chance for us. Maybe, maybe this isn't like the other rebuilds. And so I think that's the, the big thing that is worth looking for is, do I think they can win one of their final games? Yes. Uh, do I think they will win it? There's a, there's a pretty solid shot, but I think the biggest thing is, is you just don't want to squander that momentum, even if it means competing in games, but not winning those games. I I just think you don't want to squander the momentum that you built up by playing Oklahoma as well as they did on Saturday. Elsewhere in the big 12, Matt Wells was let go by Texas tech. What are your thoughts on uh, that move by the red Raiders? It, It has one of those, uh, one of those fields where, where the guy was fired before he was fired, right? You know, it, it's kind of it's kind of like when uh, whenever you talk about a coordinator coming into a season and they're a little bit maligned and they have a bad game two performance and they're fired, and you say, well, if the coach was that close to getting fired, where you're willing to to let him go in week two or week three, well, what's he still doing here? And when you look at, at Matt Wells and Texas Tech, you know, I think they came in and he was behind the eight ball heading into the season. You're in a situation against K-State where you're five and two and, you know, you have a big lead in that game. What was it? I think 24 to 10 and they wind up losing 25 to 24, you know, with, with kind of the meltdown and everything. You're still five and three. You still have a winning record. And so to lose that game by one point, again, that would have made you bowl eligible. And then all of a sudden we're talking about, okay, you know, coach is gone by, by Monday afternoon. There's always more things behind the scenes and more things that, than most of us know about when it comes to these coach, you know, firings and, and things like that. But I also think that it sends a, a pretty loud message that, hey, this wasn't our guy or we were very sold that maybe this wasn't our guy even before what happened on Saturday because that's an awfully quick turnaround for a coach on a team with a winning record who's a game away from bowl eligibility. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty here of 24-7 Sports. I do want to talk a little basketball with you before we let you go. Uh, KU added a recruit in Ernest Uday Jr., I believe last Wednesday, uh, what is KU getting in Uday? You know, Uday is is a fascinating guy a, a little bit in that, you know, you hate to compare anybody, you know, to a certain player who plays at a high level. But I think fans will see some similarities to to maybe Yudoka Azubuki just in terms of he's not that big. He's not, you know, that dominant of a force. I'd more mean that, he, he's a physical guy. He's a really good athlete. He's a really good catch threat, you know, on lobs and, and things like that. And he's somebody that can impact the game on the glass and, and as a shot blocker. And so 
when you have all of those things together, he needs some polish, which I think is the other thing that, that kind of stands out to, to don't necessarily, you know, think about where Azabuki was as, you know, as a senior and expect him to, to be in that discussion. But I think there are some similarities in terms of the rawness there, the, the way that both of them play, the way that they use themselves physically on a basketball court to sort of overpower and also have more athletic pop than you would expect for somebody built the way that they are. And so I think that he's a, he's a guy that has a strong fit. He may not come in and, and average 10 points a game right away, but he's somebody that when he comes in for 10 minutes, you're, you're going to know that he's on the court. You know, you're going to see that impact. And, and if he sticks around and, and allows himself to develop and, and develop, you know, some scoring moves and, and ways to uh, ways to really use the physicality that he has. I, I think he's somebody who could take off and, and be a really good big man for Kansas. Do you have any way of? Uh, I'm just going to ask this to all the guests this week. Any way of sneaking <laughs> some info from the uh, KU Tulsa scrimmage this Saturday? From what? The uh, secret scrimmage that isn't actually a secret. KU Tulsa this Saturday. Uh, I, I think, uh, I think I may have a, a line on some information, but it, <laughs> the, the, the fun, the funny thing about it, Derek is, is these scrimmages are only a secret as the coaches really <laughs> decide to make them because in some cases, you know, you have, obviously we come from a network that covers, you know, just about every major conference school out there. And there are some schools that, they flat give out a box score to <laughs> to media members afterwards. And there are some schools where if that's not the case, you know, they'll at least talk to you about it in fairly, you know, fairly deep detail after it happens. And then there are some schools who feel like, man, we, we just can't even mention this because it's against some rule somewhere and we're going to get in <laughs> trouble despite the fact that everybody else is doing it. So, it will be will be kind of interesting to see how all the pieces fit together, though. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what the uh, I don't know if we even just get a box score right to see how often certain players are playing and certain aren't to see who has the early edge on maybe some positional battles. I'm I don't know. I just I need somebody down there to sneak me some information <laughs> for next Monday's show. Well, you know, if you if you ever wanted to be a friend with, you know, a, a stadium manager or, you know, somebody who's in charge of turning the lights on or, or operating the scoreboard or somebody like that, you know, now's your uh, – <laughs> this week is your chance. This week is, uh, is, is your chance to make good on all that. There we go. I'll try to get right on that. He is Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Joins us on Tuesdays here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. Kevin, thank you so much for the time as always. All right. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, two hours down, one to go on KLWN, depend on it.